science. No doubt there's power deep within. Hi, beauties. Welcome to the Beyond Beauty Project with your host, Bridget Burrick-Brown, the show that's redefining the meaning of beauty. Enjoy, and we're so happy to have you part of the conversation. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Beyond Beauty Project. Today, I am here with Jessica Ng. Jess is a first-generation Hong Kong Chinese-American-born and raised in New York City. She is a designer, an activist, and a Muay Thai fighter. She has fought in North America, South America, and Asia, and represented Team USA as a Pan-American gold and bronze medalist. She is also the co-founder of Southpaw Stitches, a company that pivoted at the start of last year's pandemic to meet the needs of her community. When we chatted recently uh, to prep for this call, just really shed light on things that are going on in our community. And I hope that we do that together today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me on. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. Aw, thank you. I know. I think we're going to have a really good conversation. Um, I'm going to start with my very first question I ask everyone. And I want to know what you think makes a person beautiful. It might be cliche, but it really is each's self-development on the inside. Um, I really think people's energy and just their way of helping people and also their self-confidence and their consciousness all around really just you feel that energy and you really yeah. feel, you know, that person's vibrance and everything. And, um, I think beauty is really, really like within, within, I love how you just said their consciousness all around. It's so true. I always say like being thoughtful is really beautiful. Just being thoughtful yes. of, of your surroundings and everyone around you. Right. Right. Because We're all in this truly together. correct. Like truly when you really, <clears throat> when you help others, when you are empathetic, you're compassionate, um, that's really how you show love. And when you spread love, it, it goes forward and moves, it, it yeah. paves the way forward. It's um, a rip, ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your um, Instagram name is Southpaw Jess, Mm -hmm. and I know you're very passionate about Muay Thai. Obviously, you have a gold and a bronze medal. Can you tell us where that began? Like, where did that journey begin for you? It began around in college um, when I started kind of dabbling um, in Muay Thai classes. Um, And I always wanted to defend myself because I was never able to defend myself verbally. Um, So I always wanted to then, Mm. I guess, physically defend myself. Um, Because when you can't verbally defend yourself, it becomes, it can become physical. Um, And so um, that's something I always wanted to learn. Um, So I really just took classes. Um, in college to to work out and exercise and um, yeah I just got obsessed with it because it it was mentally and physically the most challenging thing I've ever done Um, and just I think the moment sparked uh, when I was training and it, it was not a comfortable space for me I was completely out of my comfort zone um, a lot of frat boys you know, a lot of bros. And I was just like, yeah. kind of there with my friends. So even when it's like, okay, partner up after the warm up, it's like, obviously, they're not going to learn anything if they partner with me. And I had like, no idea what I was doing. Um, so it was like the last one picked for the team kind of thing, like back in gym. Yeah. Club. And then so there were some like, really good hearted people that really embraced me and like helped me. Um, and then we were training in, um, what we call clinch and it's basically just um really really up close almost like wrestling but on your feet um and um 
this other guy that was training at the time, he was partnering with me and he was just really, really sweaty. Um, based like to the point where his shirt was soaking wet. You could see like his, oh. his chest hair, like through the white shirt kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. he just like was grabbing me. Like my face was like on against his chest and he just like threw my head to the floor, like face first and knocked yeah. like my ankles up from, out from under me. And, you know, and I like got up and then he did it again. And then I got up again and then he just took my waist and like threw me again. And it oh wasn't, mal- it wasn't malintent. It was really for me to like learn the techniques in the clinch. But from that point, like no matter how hard I tried, I, I couldn't do anything. I, I couldn't defend myself. I couldn't help myself. And this wasn't even in a situation outside of the safe gym zone. Yeah. So, and then once that happens, there's this like shock that takes over you and this like helplessness, like way past vulnerability at that point. And then it takes over you mentally. And I think that Full was really, fear. that was really the, the point that like sparked um, just me. Like there was like no going back and I'm like, I'm coming back here and I need to know you need to learn how to never put myself in that position ever again. Um, wow. And I need to physically know how to defend myself from a situation like that. Um, Did, and that's can, really when it sparked. Um, can you, can you get out of that with him now? Do you still know him? I don't know him. He's since moved. Okay. Um, but in that kind of situation, yeah, like you can, it, and, yeah, yeah. At least I won't allow myself to be that close in that position if something happened. Yeah. And then when I'm there, it's uh, once I get into that proximity with the two bodies, I'm able to at least put myself in a position where, you know, I, I won't get injured or I prevent myself from really getting injured. Or if it was like on the street, you could get out of it and get away. Right. Yes. At least remove myself from that situation. And that like instant shock of um, uh, fear won't take over me because that's natural. Like you naturally feel fearful, vulnerable, and like scared. Um, So all this training, it's been like uh, 12, 13 years. And in situations on the subway or anything like anything that's ever happened through the years, I was able to calm a woman down or, you know, tell people not to, you know, not to freak out, don't pull the emergency exit. I was able to, you know, just even in certain times, remove myself from that situation, even if it doesn't involve me, because most of the time on the subway or on the street, once things happen, bystanders, bystanders that aren't involved are in a state of shock. Yes. And you think you're training mentally, like what you're explaining right now is almost the mental part of it. Like you've been able to, yeah. Um, I want to go back for a second. You said something in the very beginning about not being able to protect yourself with your voice. So you wanted to Mm -hmm. be able to protect yourself physically. Why couldn't you protect yourself with your voice? Did you feel like? And so I was born and raised in New York city. Um, So I'm very much American. And I think in school, the lack of education, um, the lack of diverse education in our American history and also in media and also in the beauty industry and the fashion industry, Disney, everything around us, um, it wasn't and it's not very diverse. So when we don't learn much about each other's history, yeah, um, we don't have the proper context as children or even as young adults to hmm. verbally defend ourselves or even understand why things are the way they are and certain words are the way they're formed and said in just normal everyday social settings. Yeah. Yeah. They some people don't even realize that they're doing it because it's so systemic, right? Right. Because if we are if we are socially conditioned and raised with certain prejudices or biases, then we ourselves are capable of enacting 
and acting in the with those prejudices and with those biases without when even did, knowing it. What how old were you do you think when you started realizing that? I was young or when I was started realizing that this what? this isn't right, like something I mean, or do you, or like since you were little? Probably since I was very little. How important do you feel like it is for a woman or a girl to be able to protect herself? In this world, every every young girl and every woman needs to have the confidence and the empowerment to, you know, defend themselves either verbally or physically in, in any yeah. situation, in case, in case of any situation. Yep. Um, and that's really because of how the world is. Yeah. Where do you think confidence comes from? Really understanding yourself, understanding yourself, understanding society around you, understanding, trying to understand and educating ourselves on how, why the systems are the way they are and why the world operates the way it does. I guess that's true for all of us, but I would say you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a woman of color really understanding that. Right. Especially as a woman of color and also as an East Asian American woman, I'm like, it was always caught in the middle. Yeah. Um, it's always, you know, like black or white and then there's yeah. nothing in the middle. So even, you know, as an East Asian girl growing up, it's like, okay, well, what are you? Are you black? Are you white? You have to pick one. Yeah. You know, even in like school, I'm like, but I don't know, like I'm I'm not either. I don't look like either. Yeah. And I also don't don't live my life in the dynamics of either. So like when you turn on the TV, there is no like I, you know, I didn't understand like what it's like to have a real American family, you know, because that's yeah. what a real American family. They eat at the dinner table, you know, the parents come home, who's the one cooking, who's the one gardening, you know, the parents help them with the homework, or there's like a housekeeper, you know, all of those yep. things. Um, and it's really, thank goodness for, you know, what's going on now, because now we have the resources to tell our own stories, even mm -hmm. if it's just uploading, you know, videos on YouTube or social media. I remember you saying when we chatted that you've, um, like the invisible race mm -hmm. and, you know, hearing you talk about it further now, I see how growing up, you're like, well, where's my family? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's, it's really important because not just me, but other children in the, in my classrooms growing up, they don't see representation in the storybooks or on TV in the cartoons yeah. or in the movies that look like me. So for them, yeah. I will always be different. I will always be, if they weren't friends with me, I will always be the one that might not speak English, or I would always be the one coming from another country. Um, yeah. I will always be the one maybe eating like, you know, like weird, unpalatable mm. foods, you know, yep. because that's just what they've always heard. Yeah. You know, and it's really interesting when, you know, I go to like uh, career day or any kind of visits like in schools or with kids from different communities you know, even from like kindergarten, first, second grade, they really have already an idea of what they think different people of different races do yeah, talk or, or look like or good at or, you know, even just who they are. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the hypersexualization of Asian women, because I'm sure you felt that growing up too. Can you explain a bit about what that means to you. And then I want to talk about some solutions you think, or some changes that we as a society need to make. Already being the invisible race, um, our problems have always been either ignored, hidden, or gaslit. And then assimilating in this country and in society without any political power without any monetary power, um, community, anything like that, or community influence, you continue to only be able to try to assimilate, but we'll never reach that assimilation. 
Yeah. So, so, and also when violence is, it happens to our communities, when it's ignored or brushed aside, nobody hears about it and nobody talks about it and then nobody knows about it. So therefore they don't think that it, that it happens or it actually is real, that it exists. Um, So, and then with this fetishization of like Asian women, I mean, the first, the first legislation in the United States um, that had to do with race was against Asian women Hmm. in the page act, I called the page act. And that was before the Chinese exclusion act. So when the, slavery was abolished they needed the labor from the Chinese for the railroads um, on the west coast and you know these men were by law weren't allowed to marry anyone outside of their race but then Asian women Chinese women were not allowed into this country because um, they were viewed as um, um, demonic um, dirty, they're going to spread diseases, they're going to tempt white men. So really having, you know, the workforce here, then they're not allowed to marry or find wives. So you're really just not even um, allowing for that community to grow, um, people to no. marry, have children. Um, so you're essentially really at, in one sense, stopping this community from, you know, it's kind of essentially like genocide. Um, yeah. And then for women not to be able, allowed to be here, that's already creating a, you know, a sense of like um, uh, demonization. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward when the GIs were over in South Korea and in Japan and in Southeast Asia, um, mm. the comfort women from like in Korea, they were sex slaves. They were sex trafficked. You know, the fact that we even call them comfort woman, women is already just like, you know, trying to, you know, make it sound nice. Like no one's comforting yeah. anybody. Um, and they're getting raped. Right. And, and, and it's this like fetishization where it's like, oh, well, they're subservient. They're easy. Um, they're just, you know, like an object and they'll do anything. And really they're just being terrorized like every day. And even when, when we think about like the beauty industry now, I mean, the eyelid surgery for, um, Asian women with that were born with monolids to have like eyelid surgery that stems way back from when an American surgeon in World War II was over in South Korea to to you know oh my god make the Asian women that were comfort women to have these surgeries so they would look more appealing to the GIs, to the American soldiers. And that's the history of that surgery. Wow. And that's the history that we don't know. That's the history we don't know. And that surgery started from an American surgeon. Do you feel like the, the fetish almost started with those wars? I think it has to have started way before that. Yeah. Because of the Page Act in history. Yeah. Like why, you know, in out of like all the different ethnicities and races in the world, it was specifically to Chinese women. Um, And then fast forward, even to this day, and we all have seen, know, or felt it where it's like, if there was a male that dated outside, that's not Asian and have one, has one or two or you know, the uh, girlfriends that are Asian, it's always like, oh, well, he has a fetish, he has a fetish. But then for women, for us, it's also like the psychological thing where you're telling us that 
we are not ourselves individuals. Yeah. We are just looked at as a certain way as a monolith and just as a fetish. And for me, if anybody doing something right, if anybody is looked, so basically you're telling me that someone outside of my race that's attracted to me or anybody that is attracted to me or is interested in me must have something wrong with them. Yeah. So it's not really blaming the person being attracted. You're also psychologically and um, creating like a bias and stereotype for the Asian women that internalize that themselves. Yeah. That will shame themselves. Right. So I'm only attract, I only attract people that have something wrong with them. Yeah. Do you think proper education is where we could begin? I think Asian American history is American history and it needs to be taught in school. Yeah. It needs to be taught in school from the day they open a textbook. They need to have black history. They need Asian history, South Asian history. They need to know even like Canada, they need to know all, all the wars that, you know, we have been in, in all these other countries. And that's exactly why the United States is so diverse. Is, is there any, excuse my ignorance, but is there any Asian American education in our history books? No, No. I mean, I've, I've been in, I mean, I, I studied here my entire life. Um, granted I graduated a while ago, but there, there is no, the only, I mean, even now it's like, okay, New York city, um, has the day off for lunar new year. And that's like, you know, the one acknowledgement of like our, one of our holidays and like, that's it. But in the United States, each state, um, regulates their own school, uh, their own education, uh, curriculum. It's by the state. Yeah. I think it's very, very important because then they actually learn about each other, like in the classes and the classmates, like they learn about like each other's families and education, how we've helped each other in the past, how we've survived together in the past, um, thrive together in the past, um, partnerships, coalitions, everything like the first union formed, you know, the grape strike in California was started by um, the Filipinos and then partnered with um, the Mexicans and it went, you know, national. And that was the first like labor union strike that they succeeded with. Um, People don't know that history. Yeah. You know, they don't know the history that, you know, there was a huge, you know, um, an activist, a Japanese American activist that held the head of Malcolm X when he was assassinated, you know, like, why didn't I know that? You know, yeah. people think civil rights is only, you know, Black people fighting for civil rights back in the 60s. Um, like, people don't know a lot of things like that. And even that's not properly represented in movies. No. Yeah. It's not. It's Do not. you feel like um, society standards of beauty affected how you felt about yourself growing up? Like, your confidence and self-esteem? Do you feel like that made an impact on you? definitely made an impact on me because you know as a child you you know like you soak in everything you soak in so much and then you know and it's very it's like you know you have to look a certain way talk a certain way to be even as children not be liked but accepted right and then as you get older it's you know it's like um, then you go into like dating and like all this stuff, but yeah, like beauty stand, like back then without social media or anything, it was just magazines, right. And yeah. TV commercials. So it's like commercials where it's like the Maybelline commercials, you have the L'Oreal commercials, the hair products, everything of what all, all the products that women and girls should be using. Yep. You know, to be it was, good enough. Right. Um, you know, it was all white women that were models then you yep. go to the toy store and you buy a barbie um and they're all white barbies and then you'll have like one black barbie or something like that or a barbie with brown hair yes um and then the 17 you know magazines all that stuff or even like catalogs yeah. when we used to shop 
like dahlias and all those catalogs yeah you know they were all just like you know like white girl models um yep. and I mean I that, know I lived it I worked it right and every even, once I, in a while there would be like a you know the token black girl that worked mm-hmm. but it was really white even when I started in the late 90s right and I remember watching a watching an interview with Oprah and she said when she was very very young she bought a magazine and the cover of the magazine um was a white woman a model but she had brown hair like dark brown hair and that's the reason why she bought that magazine because that was the closest thing that looked like her and I was like oh my god Oprah I felt that yeah (laughs) yeah um and then and then but then when you see like how black women were portrayed in Hollywood it's like you don't want you don't want that as a black woman or a black girl you know because it's a degraded role you know and then if you see like movies of like an Asian man at Tiffany's for example it's like I don't want to watch this movie anymore because they're basically just like the ugliest most laughable character is Chinese so it's like I don't want to watch that and then as soon as I started fashion school in the university at FIT it's like everyone needs to watch breakfast at Tiffany's because it's iconic and it's like iconically like our fat like an iconic film in fashion Audrey Hepburn all that stuff right um but I'm like no I'm not watching that because it's an insult to me like I'm just going to continue to get brainwashed right and internalize what Asians are portrayed as you want me to continue to internalize that and eat that up but continue to glamorize how Audrey Hepburn looks like and you know all the other male leads look like yeah so what do you think are some of the solutions where we start with education Mm -hmm. well we start with education but then for us as aunts and parents and fathers and uncles and cousins we really have to like dig deep and do a lot of self-work on undoing all the biases and prejudices Mm. like in ourselves and just like really strive that you've taken on right because we all have embodied it yeah and we've all have prejudices and we all have to really we do one acknowledge it to not feel guilty about it because it's really not our fault yeah. It's our fault if we continue to perpetuate it yeah. and pass it down through generations. But it's not our fault that we have these biases. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we hold on to those, it's because we've been hurt ourselves. Yeah. Right. And like when I see injustices happen in certain communities, I just feel like hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Right. I and. Agree. And, you know, we shouldn't feel guilty about it. It's like everybody, you know, reaches, you know, this point of consciousness at a different time. And it's our, you know, our own self-responsibility to undo all of this. Yeah. And it's hard. It's not easy. No, I mean, I think it's, um, it's really being open to saying, God, I'm, I, I've been doing this. I'm going to educate myself. I don't like, I have so much to learn, so much to learn, you know, but I talk about this a lot with one of my, um, she's one of my best friends from home and, uh, she's really into educating herself too. And we always throw things back and forth. And we talk about how much just our family, like at one point she's like, I can't believe my entire family is racist. Like I just, I can't, you know, but just continuing to, yeah, not shame yourself too. Yeah. But to keep learning. Yeah. And and we'll always feel guilty once we like continue to discover little things that happen. Yeah. Know? And then it's like, okay, let's step back. Like, why do I think that way? What happened? You know? Mm-hmm. And then like, how can I, every time, how can I like stop myself and, you know, realize what's happening and then change? Yeah. Just acknowledging the thought, right? Mm-hmm. Acknowledging the thought and then like act differently the next time or like yeah. continue to really think. And um, yeah, it's, it's not easy, but 
it's well worth it. It's well worth it. It's very rewarding um, because then you continue to dig into more and you like discover more and then you really grow an appreciation for like so many things within like the community and other people because you realize so many people are actually doing the work, you know, Mm -hmm. and then things and then people in the community are just getting stronger together. Yeah. And and then we have to realize, you know, our, the power of the people is, yeah, is very powerful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It really is. What would you like to see change in our beauty advertisements to be more inclusive? I honestly, I mean, there's so much, I think it's, I mean, everything I've seen um in a way I've at recent in the last few years I've had to stop myself from even looking at beauty ads mm. fashion ads I just remove that from either my feed or I just tend not to look at the beauty ads for a long time yeah um because I don't it doesn't speak to me it just continues the same beauty standard yeah. all the time. Um, yeah. You have the Enforces one or two, it. you know, different body types, um, but yet, you know, it's still the same tokenism. Um, and when the beauty industry uses uh, models or faces as tokens, um, that still creates um, the scarcity mindset. Whereas, yeah. okay, well, you know, um, there's, you know, only a certain piece of the pie that's available. Um, so I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't agree. think it's inclusive enough. I don't think it's inclusive enough. I think a lot of it right now, especially in the last year is performative. Yeah. Personally, um, not just beauty, but, um, the, uh, the fashion industry as well. Yeah. Like where I worked at before all of a sudden, at the end of last year, the landing page was full of black models. I'm like, where did you get these images from? Cause I was there for 10 years. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're talking about, you know, the beauty industry, the Fox eye trend is extremely offensive. Yeah. It's extremely offensive and the posing and the makeup and everything. It's only beautiful if it's done on a non East Asian person. Yeah. Can you tell our audience what that is so they understand? The fox eye trend is basically the eye makeup that makes your eyes um, slanted or narrower or pulled back. And every. And people are even doing like the. Yes. This sort of like. Yes. And even when they. Right. Even when they pose, they're putting their index fingers or, you know, in the back Uh, of of their temples of their temples to make, you know, their eyes like, um, more narrow or slanted, but from the playgrounds to cartoons to everything, it was always mocked, you know, I, and it's, you can see that, um, being even internalized by kids in the playground from kindergarten to first grade, pulling their eyes back, mocking at other Asian yeah. kids. Um, so it's very deeply rooted in society where the first thing that's mocked of being Asian are our eyes and are your our eyes. accents. So for the beauty industry, this global beauty industry to perpetuate this type of feature yeah. is extremely racist. Yeah, because it because it's ugly on us that we're born with, but yet you want to put it on models and fashion models because now it's only beautiful when it's not on us. Yep, yep, yep. Did you feel growing up that you did that happen to you personally that you got mocked oh. for your eyes? Oh yeah. yeah, since kindergarten. Yeah, yeah, all the time, every day. Yeah, I'm I sorry think- that happened to you. Yeah, I was having this conversation with a friend and she has a black son. It's like, he's cute now, but when will people start seeing him as a threat, right? And then I think about my nieces, they're so precious, but when is society going to view them as just sex objects, you know? And it's really a shame. And I think it really starts with us because we have to teach 
our children um, better. Yep. So then, you know, they can not inherit all these biases that we've inherited. Um, yeah. Time when they're in social situations, they can help fight that prejudice as well. Yep. And all of us. And yeah. I've been fortunate enough to be born and raised in New York City. Outside of New York Thank City, God. it is rooted in its foundation and its culture and its mentality where, yeah. you know, it's, they just hold on to a lot of prejudices and racism and, you know. Yeah, but keep educating. Right. Do you think education is key around this? Education is definitely key around this. But even when you think about like critical race theory, right? there's already like what five, six states that have legally banned it from being even spoken about in schools. And all it really is, is about how since slavery, how the traumas have affected Black Americans generationally and how it's affected their communities now and within their families mentally and everything and economically. Like, that's really the basis. What of states? What, what states have banned? Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, I think Georgia also. Wow. Yeah, it's it, they, they literally banned it, banned that. And if you just even ban like you know the whole history of just slavery, yeah, like from schools, then kids grow up not knowing it they become young adults and they continue the the systemic violence against others in the world going back a little bit to that you work with little girls training Mm -hmm. them which is so I love that um what are your thoughts on the whole like fight like a girl or run like a girl fight like a girl, run like a girl. It's time to change that narrative and own that narrative. Yeah. Right. Um, For it to be said as an insult. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many strong women um, have started to defy those Mm -hmm. like owning that narrative. So it's actually a narrative that we should be proud of and that we are proud of and we should teach young girls to be proud of. Yeah. And going back to what you said in the beginning, we can fight with our voices. Yes. Just, yeah. What's something that you do see changing that you're grateful for? For me being in New York city, I've seen a lot of change with a lot of the activists within the community. Yeah. Um, across all communities. And I think it's, it's, it's been amazing um, from the black community, the Latinx community, um, the undocumented workers, um, the Asian, East Asian and Southeast Asian and South Asian communities, LGBTQ, AI plus communities. A lot of, in the last year and a half, there's been so many mutual aids in terms of like community fridges across like every other, um, every other uh, zip code, which has been amazing. Um, A lot of grassroots organizations that actually uh, started since the pandemic to feed the community because within Queens, where I am, we have one of the highest rates of undocumented people, but yet those people were the ones all around New York City delivering food, packages, medicine, medication um, across the city. Um, yeah. But now everyone forgot about them. No human should be even labeled the term illegal. That's a word to weaponize them and strip them of their humanity. And dig- yeah. that's weaponizing them and degrading them down to a thing. Is this the reason, some of this, the reason why soft uh, stitches transitioned a bit because you yeah. saw such a need for help, right? Well, my father is 63 and he's a mailman and he was out during the pandemic without a mask and he was there out there like all day. Like their shifts were like doubled because of the mm. pandemic because either everyone else was getting sick or 
um, not even showing up to work. And um, so that that's why a woman didn't want me in the subway car because she was just angry at me because Chinese people brought COVID. A man didn't want me to be seated next to him when we went to get dinner, things like that. And um, wow, he, couldn't Jess. Even, he couldn't even finish his meal. He literally stopped eating, moved his chair, um, all that. And I basically used that energy and, yeah. you know, did what I can for the community because there's more good than there are, you know, hatred right now. Yeah. So I basically did that. We can't survive without each other and within the workplace or the community or our neighbors, like our diversity is essential to our humanity. So like for us, it's, it's all a collective. Yeah. How did you think of writing that sign? Love our people. Like you love our food. Oh, um, God. Uh, such that, a powerful, like it, it will like bring tears to my eyes. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it was, I didn't, I mean, it was, it's great that it went viral. Um, it was unintentional. Um, it was like 20 yeah. degrees after it like snowed that week and it was in February. And, um, if I just held up a sign that said like, love everyone, love or, us. Yeah. Or, yeah, or stop the hate. Like that's not going to bring attention to anybody because that's obvious. And that's exactly why we were out there. My friends were organizing and I was there to support. Um, and I'm usually kind of in the back, um, just making sure everyone's okay. And I think that's just subconsciously, that's just like me being like the oldest in my, uh, Your of family. all the grandchildren, Seven. my family. Yeah. And, um, so I wrote love our people like you love our food. Um, Cause like when my great grandfather, my grandfather left China for work, they went to the Caribbean and they worked within food and groceries. Um, mm. And then once my grandfather was able to apply for a visa and move to New York with my family over from Hong Kong, it was, they were in the food industry. So food has been such a um like culturally and also like as a pillar of like my family um and and that's how we show love and then a lot of Asian immigrants that come here that work in the food industry that's how we show love to our community right yeah so that I guess it just really came naturally oh it is pretty powerful who doesn't love Asian food like I don't trust you if you don't like Asian food, <laughs> um, but it, the culinary, it's so complex. It's like different flavors from like 48 countries. Um, the spices, the flavors are like complex and amazing. Um, yep. It's been globally influenced and trending or trendy. Yeah, yeah um, it is trendy. And I ha- and when I thought of it, I'm like, oh, there, I have so many friends through the years that are like, can you take me to hot pot? Can you take me to dim sum? Can I come yep your dad's house to eat or can your dad show me how to make this you know so or my mom wants to come over and ask your dad to teach him how to do this growing so up so true my oh. uh one of my best friends um her mom and she helps her mom make they make these amazing egg rolls and every time we go home my husband's always like is joy coming is she bringing <laughs> her egg rolls you know and he'll eat sit there and eat every single one i'm like save like share a little bit you know <laughs> Okay, you ready for my Beyond Beauty round? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, When do you feel the most beautiful? I feel the most beautiful after I fight. Yeah, cool. Because you feel powerful? Yes, win or lose, it's, it's like nothing like it. It's because when you, when I train for months and I finally get in the ring I'm by myself and it's literally facing all my fears of how people think of me what people will think how I'm going to perform am I going to make people proud am I going to prove myself and all of that self-doubt needs to take a back seat because as soon as that bell rings it's fight or flight and I'm there on my own Um, and as a fighter, like when you're fighting, you can't hide anything, whether you're fighting in the ring or you're fighting in the street, you cannot hide anything. 
Yeah. And that's when like, it's the most raw and that sport, there's just so much respect between like both opponents that after, you know, the fight is over, it's like, I don't even need makeup. It's basically, we're just glowing. Yeah. Like literally I I tested myself and I tested myself as a person, as an athlete and as a woman and as a woman. And as a woman, any doubt that any spectators or viewers had of me, like my head is like just above the top rope, you know, (laughs) like, you know, it basically shows them just basically helps them rethink the biases that they had about me walking to the ring. Do you always fight other women? Yeah. Yeah. When you compete, you do. Um, Do you have a favorite skin tip? Um, work out and sweat, work out and sweat. Yeah, girl. I'm with you on that. Do you have a favorite beauty or wellness product? I recently discovered Tatcha's rice, a foaming rice powder enzyme cleanser. Ooh. And it's actually doesn't dry out my skin because I have an oily T-zone, but I'm like dry. Yep. Um, and I had acute eczema, like I developed acute eczema like two years ago. And the only thing that worked was CeraVe. I couldn't use anything else. If we're talking about wellness products, I would say like my mace. (laughs) Yes. My dad was like here when I turned like 13. I was like, what am I supposed to do And then I would like get rid of it. And then he'd get me, he like knew when I did. And he'd be like, here you go. Here's another one. Girl dads are the best. Girl dads are the best. Do you have a personal motto that you live by? Yeah. Um, I've always lived by this. Um, Traveling the world. We have to travel not for comfort. We have to travel for exploration. We have to travel because traveling is the antidote to ignorance. Mm. I I totally agree with that. So if you could go back in time and tell your younger self something, what would you tell her? Um, Jess. Aw. Um to hold on to all the different cultures that I was raised with. Yeah. And um to truly, truly continue to um be proud and unapologetic um for who I am. And unapologetically defy all the social norms that are laid against thrown in your face mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah laid against you mm-hmm. you're labeled yeah. so what's next for you what's next you're going to continue southpaw stitches the new southpaw stitches we want to really now new normal what's the new normal right we want to continue making like thoughtfully designed products for all fighters because everyone's a fighter right but really products that you know will continue to inspire active lifestyle like before that our mindset was like you have to be an athlete we have to fight and we have to compete and all that stuff but really it's like everyone's fighting their own fight yeah And whatever way, whatever direction um, that they're living in and they're fighting towards, everyone still needs an active lifestyle. Yeah. Everybody still needs to sweat. I like that everyone's a fighter. We are all fighting something. Yes. The patriarchy, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the system, our workplace, um, you know, our negative thoughts, our (laughs) negative thoughts. Yep. Um, Yeah. And especially like, oh, mothers, like mothers are real, like real superheroes. Yes. Real superheroes. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. So, oh my God, you're welcome. Okay. Tell my listeners where they can find you socials and all that. 
You can find me on Instagram at Southpaw underscore Jess, J-E-S-S, um, as well as Southpaw underscore Stitches. Um, and your websites are on your Instagram. Yes, the website southpawstitches.com. Um, you know, if you need the one and only like mask for traveling or when you're getting on a plane or anything like that, um, you can, you know, support by for me, we can't exist um, without everyone's support. Um, promise you'll love them. Um, your lips and your nose will not touch the inside of the mask. I promise. Um, I'm getting myself one. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, and we have the reflective ones that, you know, in the winter, at least, you know, when you're and they're good, obviously, for working out and training and all that. Yeah, like light jacket yeah. and everything. Um, indoors in New York, the gyms are are open now, but they require um, people to wear a mask. So a mask. You need to like take a light jog or do yoga or anything like that. Like, yeah, they're yep. anti- antimicrobial and all of that. Nice, nice. Okay, check her out. Thank you guys for joining. Thank you so much for being here, and I will see you soon. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you. Show it off every curve, every part, yeah. Cause I'm strong and I love the skin I'm in. Every shape, every inch. No Thank you for joining another Beyond Beauty Project conversation. At the end of the day, we're all in this together. Don't forget to check out our website at www.beyondbeautyproject.com where you can find all of our socials. And don't be shy. Bridget wants to hear from you. So feel free to send a DM or an email to let us know your thoughts and what you'd like to hear about next. See you beauties on the next Beyond Beauty Project. Catch us next Wednesday. This podcast episode is designed to be for informational and discussion purposes only. I am not a doctor and I'm not trained as a medical provider or counselor. I do not provide medical care or attempt to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any physical ailment or any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition on this podcast. Always seek the advice of your own physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding your personal medical condition. Do not disregard recommended medical advice or treatment or delay in seeking professional medical advice because of information or content obtained from this podcast. If you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, please contact your own health care provider promptly. For urgent medical needs, please contact your health care provider or call 911 immediately.